0: Let's open our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 25, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. The topic, because the Corinthians were speaking in uninterpreted tongues, visitors to their services went away thinking they were crazy. The title of our message, you speak in tongues and what do you get? Another day older and others upset. Father, thank you uh, this morning for uh, the fellowship of believers. It's uh, something that that I think we do realize how important and how sweet it is, Lord. Um, If we don't, we should. And, And so we just thank you that we're able to be here this morning. We pray for brothers and sisters who are coming second service and pray for those who can't make it this weekend for whatever reason, Lord, that you would be with them and that you would reveal yourself to them. That would all be up to speed, Lord, on your love for us and the grace in which we walk. Help us in this uh, text, Lord. It's um, not a controversial text, but a controversial subject. Uh, I pray that we would dig in and understand what you want us to understand. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, it. "Amen." It was an outrage. The event was the memorial in 2013 in Johannesburg, South Africa, for Nelson Mandela. Then President Obama was giving a eulogy. Next to him was a sign language interpreter, except that the man was only pretending to sign. Among those who noticed what was happening was Wilma Newhout, the first deaf person elected to South Africa's parliament and a vice president of the World Federation of the Deaf. Shame on this so-called interpreter on the stage, she tweeted during the memorial service. What is he signing? Shame on him. Shame on the Christians in Corinth. At their gatherings, they were speaking in a way that no one could understand. Look at verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. Unlike the sign language interpreter, however, this speaking in tongues was a genuine, not fake, gift of the Holy Spirit. The problem was that it required interpretation. And the believers were neglecting the corresponding gift of interpretation. The gift of speaking in tongues is one of the most controversial subjects believers argue and divide over. Uh, Many times when people call the church and they want to know what we believe, uh, believe it or not, they want to know if we allow the public speaking in tongues on Sunday morning. And so I uh, direct them to churches that they would enjoy. Uh, Whether you believe that the gift has ceased or that it continues or you're in the who cares camp, Uh, What the Apostle wrote here is the truth about tongues. I'm going to organize my comments around two points. Number one, your uninterpreted speaking in tongues in public is selfish. Number two, your uninterpreted speaking in tongues in public is a sign. And so let's take a look at why it's selfish in verses 1 through 14. I want to use the Apostle Paul's own brief descriptions of these gifts we're going to discuss They are prophecy, speaking in tongues, let's just refer to his tongues from now on, and interpretation. So prophecy, in verses 3 and 4, Paul says, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So as you know, prophecy can be a foretelling of the future, but that is rare now that we have the complete word of God. Most often, it is a forth telling of God's word. It is you hearing from someone exactly what you need in order to be edified and exhorted and comforted. Just last week, a brother told me he'd been praying for another saint here in the church, and he felt the Lord give him a verse to share. When he did, it was exactly the same verse the recipient had sensed God using to edify and exhort and comfort him. If you think that's a coincidence, I don't because there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. And to think that two people praying for each other would have the exact same obscure verse, uh, that's, that is one way we believe that prophecy is, is exercised. Uh, there are other ways. We're not really here to talk about how it's exercised. We'll do more of that next week because our focus is tongues this morning. And tongues in verse 2, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men But to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. The biblical gift of tongues is not a known or learnable human language. Everyone who's given this gift gets their own peculiar expression of it. And that's why it can sound like gibberish, but be genuine. If that sounds ridiculous, consider this. We're told in Romans that the Holy Spirit, and I quote, intercedes for us through wordless groans. And the thing is, uh, I think most of us feel like yeah, he interprets our groans to God, but the text is saying that he groans, not us. He intercedes with wordless groans. And when you look at it that way, our speaking in tongues is no more ridiculous than the Holy Spirit using groans to communicate. And so we take this at face value. We're further told that a person speaking or singing in tongues is directly addressing God. It is never a message from God. It is speaking to God. Some of you with a Pentecostal background, you'll remember uh, someone speaking in tongues and then someone else interpreting it as a prophecy. God wants you to know that you haven't tithed enough today or something like that. And, and uh, it's, it's not that way because Paul says, it's, it's an unknown, unlearnable hu- uh, language. It's not a known human language. And it is a man speaking to God, not the other way. Then the interpretation of tongues, verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. The interpretation of tongues is the Holy Spirit giving you the understanding of what was spoken by someone else or by yourself. You can't otherwise know what was being said. And since tongues is not a known language, and since everyone's tongues is different, uh, interpretation cannot be translation. Think of it like interpreting a work of art you can put into words what the artist was trying to convey. Uh, and that's what, the, that's what interpretation is. It's not a translate. You can't translate a piece of art into a language, but you can interpret the artist's meaning. One more really, really, really important point often overlooked by both sides. Tongues were only a problem in Corinth because they were being left uninterpreted. Look at verse 5. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. Tongues that are interpreted are just as edifying as prophecy or any other speaking gift. The problem in Corinth was tongues, but the deeper problem was that they were not building up the saints in their exercise of tongues because it was being left uninterpreted. And the point of this whole text is to build up the saints with your gifts and not call attention to yourself. So let's get into it. Verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. The Corinthians claimed to desire the best gifts, and they thought it was tongues. Had they been pursuing love, they'd have recognized without needing to be told that uninterpreted tongues was selfish because no one else could understand it. Verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries tongues has rightfully been called a prayer language this is why some argue that it is for every believer no matter how logical or spiritual that sounds paul said no back in chapter 12 he listed the gift of tongues with all the other gifts and he indicated that no one has not everyone has the gift of tongues and so people say well um You're talking about public tongues, but everybody can speak privately in tongues and and that, that there's no designation here in the word for that. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. Something I do want to sneak in about tongues from the book of Acts, some commentators use the day of Pentecost to insist tongues must be a known language. It is not. On the day of Pentecost, when God the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples gathered in the upper room. Did the hearers recognize their own human languages being spoken? They did. And that means the gift of tongues is something different than the miracle of languages on the day of Pentecost, because Paul just said it's an unknown language. And so you can't, whatever happened, to, so, so a lot of uh, conservative commentators say, well, yeah, if, if you mean by the gift of tongues, somebody might speak in a, you know, who doesn't know Spanish might suddenly speak Spanish. Uh, That, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, But that's not at all what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's different completely from the gift of tongues according to the definitions. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Regardless that you or I may think hearing tongues is beautiful or worshipful, By definition, it cannot build us up because it is unintelligible to us without interpretation. And Paul is arguing that it should not be exercised in public unless there is the possibility of interpretation. I was guest teaching at a church one time years ago, Solid Church, Calvary Chapel. And as a part of their service, I think not every week, but uh, often, uh, they just encourage everybody to sing in tongues at the same time. And... um, It was okay. I I won't say that it was beautiful or worshipful. I mean, it wasn't grating. It wasn't like nails on a chalkboard or anything like that. Uh, But, you know, some people think that's a wonderful expression that that builds them up spiritually. But the problem is the Apostle Paul says, yeah, you just think that it can't build you up because it doesn't involve anything intelligible. It's not giving you anything except warm fuzzies. Uh, And so... You know, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Paul says, and if you don't believe it, uh, you can read it for yourself. And this is hard. It's hard for some people to hear this, especially from a Pentecostal background, uh, because they've learned to do things differently over the years. It should not be exercised in public unless there is at least the possibility of it being interpreted. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. That uh, indicates that not everybody does, Right. But even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. Nowhere in these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, that all deal with the same subject, nowhere does Paul indicate any of these gifts will ever cease in the church age. Quite the contrary, he spent three chapters discussing their proper exercise in the church age. Later, I I don't know if it's in this letter or in 2 Corinthians, but Paul will say something to the effect of uh, the rest of the things you asked me, I'll answer when I get there. Uh, And so, you know, there were a lot of other important subjects, but he left them out in order to spend three chapters on the proper exercise of the gifts. So it it just, uh, logic is important sometimes. You think, well, if the gifts were going to cease after the apostolic era in the first century, Why spend so much time examining them and talking about their use without saying they're going to cease, uh, without putting a time limit? Paul nowhere says in any of his writings, well, I need to give you this instruction, but don't worry about it, because when you die and when all the apostles die, nobody's going to be speaking in tongues anyway. Uh, it's It's just not in the word that way. It continues as all the gifts do to this age. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? This is a partial list of manifestations of the Spirit that can be understood. That's the point. Only what is understood can profit you. You may think some unintelligible phenomena is spiritual, but Paul says it isn't. So if you leave a church service where people spoke in uninterpreted tongues, you might be high on on God. You might be excited and and think that God moved in that service, but Paul would say he didn't. Paul would say you, you didn't learn anything. You didn't grow. You weren't built up. It was all outward, and there was no internal spirit involved. Uh, And so it is hard to hear some of this stuff. Uh, Again, if you've been raised in a certain tradition, uh, but Paul, you know, who obviously had a lot of gifts and was used in tremendous ways. He's not an old curmudgeon who's tired of hearing tongues spoken. He wants people to be built up in their faith. And he says, this is not the way to do it. Over time, this uh, is not going to build people up and they're going to ignore the things that do Build them up, and sadly, uh, I, I don't want to make a general statement, but in a lot of Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, the gifts of the Spirit take precedence over any intelligible teaching, and there's very little teaching, uh, verse by verse or book by book. It's all inspirational teaching, uh, and uh, it makes for weak Christians in any setting, not just Pentecostal settings, but even in conservative settings. If you don't, if you're not going through the Bible and getting exposition. Uh, you're not being built up the way that God intended. And so verse seven, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air gathering of believers, or the assembly of God, we might say, is a place to get understanding. Over and over and over, Paul emphasizes how important this is. We should think that way as well and examine our behavior accordingly. This isn't legalism. It's just following Paul's lead. He says, hey, when you gather together, you need to be built up, and that happens when easy words are spoken and everything is understood. And so we want to constantly look at things. This is how churches sometimes get off track and and they quit doing basic things and they follow trends and certain things like that. But Paul says you want to be able to understand what was said. Verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. We ought not act like foreigners by speaking uninterpreted tongues when in fact we are one in Jesus, members of his earthly body. Don't you feel weird when folks who speak English suddenly start speaking in another language just so that you can't understand them? My mom and dad would do this to me all the time because they're from the old country. Well, my mom was born here. My dad was uh, from Italy, but there is... Italian, Sicilian as they come, and so when they didn't want the kids to understand something, they wouldn't spell uh, like we do, you know how you do that, and then your kid, you realize your kids have known how to spell two years before, you know, they're interpreting that, but my parents would just, they would just start speaking Italian, and um, I had no idea what they were talking about, my brothers didn't know what they were talking about, and so it was a very effective, you know, let's get on the same page kind of a thing, and before I take my belt off and swat you. Uh, but, and, and, and not so much rude in your family setting, I think, but uh, that happens in public sometimes, you know, where, or even with friends sometimes, you know, and they just start speaking in the language, and, and it's rude. It's weird. It's, it, you feel awkward, and you, you can't help as they're looking at you if they're talking about you, and then you find out, of course, they are. A lot of comedy skits about that and stuff. And so that's what Paul says. He goes, he goes hey, well, you know, we're all, it's like a bunch of foreigners got together and we're just speaking and, and those that don't have the gift and there's no interpretation, they feel left out. No one can understand what's going on. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Their zeal to exercise gifts was commendable, but it needed correction. That's not a bad thing. Zeal is better than apathy in one sense. Uh, I mean, you know, Paul wasn't, it, it, Corinth wasn't a church that you had to stir up. You had to settle them down. And sometimes I think it's easier to settle people than it is to stir them. Uh, I don't know why that is, but, uh, you know, uh, they, they were just going for it. And, and, you know, Paul could take them aside and say, hey, let me correct you on this. And hopefully they'd heed his correction as opposed to just shaking somebody. say, hey, would you get with it? Would you start serving the Lord? And so uh, even though we don't want to really be like the church at Corinth, there are qualities. You know, zealousness is something that, uh, you know, is good. We have zeal sometimes not according to knowledge. We need the knowledge and the zeal. Uh, well-taught Christians ought to be the most zealous Christians of all uh, in that sense. But anyway, so um, he says, you, you guys are zealous, but let it be for edifying. In other words, if you're prompted to do something or feel a prompt to exercise a gift, make sure it's going to build somebody up and not just call attention to yourself. And so Paul was giving them that correction. And he says, seek to excel. I hate most sports expressions, but here we might say regarding our gatherings, we want to bring our A game, give 110% and leave it all in the pews. Expect God to use you and go for it. Verse 13, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. If you speak in tongues publicly, it's going to need interpreting by you or someone else. If you don't have the gift of interpretation, you might want to ask if someone in the assembly does. Wait a minute. This sounds like we think you can control the exercise of the gifts. And that's because we not only can, we must. Part two of this chapter is all about order with Paul insisting that look at verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, uh, you can decide how to exercise your gift in the public assembly. Now this is also critical. And again, we'll talk about it next week, Lord willing, but there's a sense that you get in some churches that when the Holy Spirit comes, when he falls upon the church that morning that everybody is just sort of out of control that he kind of takes over and animates you uh, and and does all manner of crazy stuff because i I guess he's the crazy third member of the trinity and uh, you know they he's he's the guy that they they don't want you to see on christmas you know or something like that because you get a wrong impression and so the spirit comes on people and they just Uh, They'll tell you that they couldn't help it. They couldn't control themselves because the spirit was so strong on them. And Paul would say, that's not true. It's absolutely not true. Uh, There is a measure of control that you must exercise. And so you get that. Paul says, if you're going to speak in tongues publicly, there needs to be an interpretation. And so how how would you find that out? Well, if you were a visitor to a church, let's say you're visiting Calvary Chapel Hanford for the first time and you're a sincere charismatic who believes in all the gifts of the Spirit, as we do, you might want to say, hey, describe to me your Sunday morning service. And, and, um, you know, and then you might ask, hey, would you allow time for someone to have an utterance in tongues? And we would say, no, that's not what our focus is on Sunday morning. At other services, we might ask, uh, you know, or, or say, and we've done this on Wednesday night, say, hey, we're open to the exercise of the gifts Uh, If you're going to speak in tongues, is there anyone here who knows that they have the gift of interpretation? And sometimes people will raise their hand, and so we'll go for it. And so, but you know, there's not. We can be casual. You don't have to be all quiet. That's another thing with some Pentecostals and charismatics. You want to be all quiet. You can't can't interrupt the spirit. It's like he's moving. And if you were to ask a question, he's gone. Went out that vent. And we'll, we'll never see him again, you know. And and I don't. I, I I try to be humorous about it because it's so. Well, I don't want to use that word, but it's it's uh, <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, it's really weird. And then here's another classic. Uh, just since we're on this subject, somebody in a meeting where people are encouraged to speak in tongues, I've seen this over and over again over the years. Somebody will speak in their prayer language, and then there is a hush. You could hear a pin drop. Everybody's super quiet, praying for an interpretation. And then whoever's facilitating the group, if there's no interpretation that follows immediately, brother, sister, you are out of order. Don't ever do that again, or we're going to cut your tongue out practically. I mean, that's the feeling that you get, you know. And I realized, because I've had people come up to me before and say, after the meeting and say, I blew it, Pastor Gene. I did have the interpretation to that, but I, I, I didn't feel confident to share it. So who was wrong? Not the poor guy who was prompted to speak in tongues and you told him he could, but the person who you didn't know had the interpretation and withheld it. And so we can be mellow about these things. And we can move on in the meeting. Somebody can speak in tongues and the interpretation can come later. But It doesn't have to follow immediately. I mean, we, let's all just try to settle down and be more gracious in this whole thing. Your uninterpreted speaking in tongues in public is also a sign. As much as we might be learning about the gifts, the real issue, as I keep mentioning, is the selfless building up of others when we gather. Gordon Fee, himself a Pentecostal, put it this way, the point of everything in corporate worship is not personal experience in the spirit, but building up the church itself. Much that comes under the banner of charismatic or Pentecostal worship seems very often to fail right at this point. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. They should probably not be turned into a corporate gathering for a thousand individual experiences of worship. And so verse 15, what is the conclusion? Then I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. Praying and singing with the spirit means praying and singing in tongues. Praying and singing with the understanding means praying and singing in ways that can be understood by everyone. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. You cannot agree to something you don't hear with your understanding. And so it leaves you out of the service. Someone speaks in tongues and you don't know what they're saying. And so it it cuts you off. It's like Jerry Seinfeld and the Low Talker. Remember that episode? He didn't know that he was agreeing to wear the ridiculous puffy shirt because he didn't understand what was being said. And he wore it, and, and you know he felt obligated, and so he couldn't understand. By the way, that shirt is actually in the Smithsonian. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's, uh, so when I mention Seinfeld and you think, you shouldn't be talking about that, it's an American icon. So anyway... I thank God I speak with tongues more than you, nanny, nanny. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Yes, Paul spoke in tongues, but not in the church because there he had a different focus. This gives us the freedom to encourage or discourage certain gifts from being exercised in certain meetings for the good of the body. And see, we always, this is the argument I was mentioning a a minute ago. If the Holy Spirit is moving, how can you control him without quenching him? Paul says, I speak in tongues, but I choose to not speak in tongues in the church because I want to bring teaching. Uh, And so he had a sense that you could guide the exercise of uh, the gifts and, and keep some from being exercised in certain meetings. We don't see Sunday morning as an appropriate meeting for encouraging the gift of tongues. It's a time to sing with understanding and to speak with understanding in order to build up the saints and reach sinners. And to say that doesn't quench anyone. It's not a quenching of the spirit to have order, as we'll see as the chapter continues. Just for fun, I tried to think of five-word sentences that would be better than 10,000 words in a tongue. How about, you must be born again, or God so loved the world. Try it on your own. So Paul literally, literally is saying, hey, I would rather walk into a Pentecostal service and say, hey, all of you hold your tongue. God so loved the world. Let's pray. To him, that is a million times, well, not a million times more. To him, that is edifying and the other is not. No matter what people think. Well, you can say, I felt built up. You weren't. Oh, that's mean. No, it's the Apostle Paul. So I want to be built up for real, not in a way that I think I'm being built up. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Speaking in tongues is often still promoted as a sign of spiritual maturity, even of salvation itself. There are those groups that will tell you you're not saved uh, if you don't speak with tongues. They make it the evidence of salvation. That's why they help you to do it. The Corinthians certainly thought themselves mature in their exercise of the gift. Paul said that their understanding of it was childish. They should rather hear with understanding and thereby be mature. His comment about malice is a reminder that while they thought themselves so mature in these gifts, they were simultaneously suing one another, committing all manner of sexual sin, and defiling the Lord's Supper. Uh, And so... The outward exercise of certain gifts of the spirit doesn't make one spiritual. Isn't spiritual. Uh, it, it just God. It's supposed to be just God using you to minister to others. And you're certainly not spiritual if you're doing these other things, uh, you know, to one another, tearing each other down in court and by uh, dividing families and things like that. Verse twenty-one. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Let me give you the background and context of this quote from Isaiah. The backslidden Jews of the northern kingdom of Israel have been ignoring the warnings that Isaiah was speaking to them to solicit their repentance. They refused to heed God's clear, intelligible words. As a result, God would allow Israel to be conquered by the fierce and cruel Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians did not speak Hebrew. They were the men of other tongues and other lips who would speak to the Jews instead of God's prophets. In other words, they would be conquered by a foreign people who would speak to them in a language they did not understand. It was God's judgment upon them for refusing to understand his word and repent. So verse 22, therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, a lot of people... We'll quote this verse without the preceding verse. And if you do that, it sounds like when you speak in tongues, it's a sign uh, to unbelievers, and, and that's a good thing, but it's not. What he's saying is that the unintelligible speaking of the Assyrians to Israel, the fact that the Israelis could not understand them, was a sign that God was disapproving them and displeased with them as his disobedient people. Hearing the uninterpreted tongues in Corinth a visitor would be justified in concluding that God was not among his people, but had at least temporarily brought them into a place of discipline and judgment. It's similar and dissimilar to the Tower of Babel in this sense. When God confused the languages, was that a good thing that they couldn't understand each other? Not really. It was God's judgment. And so if you walk into an assembly where people are talking in ways that no one can understand under the power of God, you would be right to determine that God is not among those people and that he's brought them into judgment. Uh, And so that's what this is talking about. Prophecy here represents all intelligible speech and it has the opposite effect on unbelievers. It reveals that God is communicating in order to build up his people. Hey, one guy this week had a verse for this guy. It was just when he needed to hear, maybe you're a non-believer and you think I need to hear something like that. I'm hearing nothing. I need help. I need hope. Uh, Maybe that kind of supernatural help can come to me. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? The uninformed is likely a reference to young believers recently saved and with little information about the Christian life. They were, they are, they're hungry to hear about God in ways they can understand. Imagine them attending church in Corinth for the first time. So you get saved by the power of the Holy Spirit using the gospel in your life. And you have all these questions about Jesus and God and the Christian life. Some of you were saved as adults with no church background. You can remember. You're just like, I, I want to know. I want to know. Give me some information. So you go to church at Corinth and five minutes into it, 50 people are standing up speaking in an unknown language. And that goes on for a while. Uh, And then maybe nothing else happens, and everybody seems excited that the Holy Spirit moved. You don't even know what they're talking about because nothing intelligible took place. It's terrible. If you keep going there because you had to because it was the only church in Corinth, you eventually would be sucked into that kind of Christian lifestyle where you just, okay, I guess this is what God is all about. And you wouldn't really be hearing from others the things that they could minister to you. And so it's, it's a very serious situation. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. We're gonna see in part two, Lord willing, Paul didn't intend that everyone prophesy. Only he was saying that those who do speak do so in ways that can easily be understood, like forth God's word so that everyone can be touched by the Holy Spirit. So if the hearer is an unbeliever, he or she can be convicted of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. I'm going to tell you right now that my opinion is that if an unbeliever comes into a church where everyone is speaking in tongues, uh, it would be a miracle if they got saved, right? Because there's no gospel. The, the tongue speaking and the, the manifestation of that gift is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what that is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel. The gospel. And so they need to hear intelligible words. If the hearer is an uninformed believer, he or she can understand that God's word is enabling them to live the Christian life. And now verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God truly is among you. Finally, something Pentecostal. This person was slain by the spirit and fell down. That's not it either. We use expressions like this all the time. Have you ever said, it floored me? You hear something and, you, and say, well, what, what, what was your reaction? Man, it floored me. You probably didn't really fall on your face. You probably didn't. Now, now, I've seen people fall, you know, receiving certain news. That does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. But you can use that expression to talk about how serious it was. But it probably didn't really happen. I think Paul was simply describing the strong emotional reaction a person might have to the convicting, convincing work of the Holy Spirit as they are converted. They could fall on their face or to their knees or come forward weeping or experience a wave of joy. I think we do need to remember that God has emotions. Uh, It's easy in the West with our intellectual biases to try to reduce God to almost a mathematical formula and to try and understand all there is to know about God uh, by principles and precepts, when God is what? Love. And even love, we try and say, well, well the love of God is this impassioned, uh, just, you know, love where you give to others and so, as if there's no emotion in- involved. And so absolutely there is. And, and uh, I'm not saying people have to cry or fall on their face when they get saved, but uh, they, they can, and they do. Notice one thing, though. This person fell on his face. He fell forward. You've ever seen someone who is supposedly slain by the spirit's power coming upon them? They always fall back into the arms of waiting ushers. They never forward. And you know, it's just a sticky point with me. If you're going to teach that folks get slain in the spirit, then they need to fall forward. Because that's the if this is the biblical example of being slain in the spirit, and they fell forward, then, then you need to fall forward. You, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to fall backwards gently into the arms of the ushers who are waiting for me there while my pastor pushes me with his fingers under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, if you're going to be biblical, go all the way. Just, and, and let people fall by themselves. You don't need to help them. The, I'm not a channel of... It's just... Ugh. The Holy Spirit's coming through my arm right now. Bam! There he is. Whoa! It's just so ridiculous. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's just like Jesus. I want you to imagine any service in the New Testament, any Bible study, any teaching of Jesus, any teaching of the apostles, that would in any way resemble a modern Pentecostal worship service. There's nothing like that in the Bible. And they, of course, had the Holy Spirit in abundance. Turns out tongues can be a form of sign language. You can be signing all the time. What did I just say? Get your napkins and I need a fork. (laughs) Why not? I might sign the entire first service. Tongues can be a form of sign language. If left uninterpreted in public, it can be a sign that you are crazy. Too many assemblies of saints act as though the more out of control they get, the more spiritual they are. They are Corinthian, and they need to heed Paul's correction. Now, too many assemblies of saints disparage the gifts that are listed in this chapter. Paul didn't, and those who do must submit to his inspired teaching, You can't just ignore these things or teach that they don't exist. You have to allow for them and figure out how they fit in your body of believers. And if you are in the who cares group, there's a lot of times people come up to me after this study and they say, I don't really care one way or the other. That doesn't affect me. Well, is this in the Bible? How can you not care about something that took up three chapters in the Bible? I mean, it, apparently this is important to God, the Holy Spirit, and to the Trinity. And so if you, if you think nobody cares about this or it's much ado about nothing, you need to adjust your thinking. And we need to do everything possible to be sure that we're always exercising any gift or, or just acting like to others without being gifted, that we want to build them up in their most holy faith and pour ourselves out into them and show them the love of Jesus.